Amen. Let me ask you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, or if you have the bulletin, the scripture is printed in the bulletin for you there on page 9. And I'll, I'll draw your attention to one thing that's a little different this week. You know that ordinarily, uh, I use the English Standard Version. The ESV is my translation of choice. It's my favorite translation for personal use and for study. However, if you notice in the bulletin this week, I've actually printed the text from the New King James Version. This is one passage where I feel like the New King James actually did a little bit better job. Uh, One thing we're going to see is I titled this sermon, The Anatomy of Wisdom. Uh, And this is a passage that, that sort of as a kind of a poetic flourish walks through a bunch of different parts of the body and how we can commit each one of those to obedience to the Lord. And that shines through in the New King James more clearly than it did in the ESV. The ESV turns some of it into English idioms, but, but with those idioms, it's kind of hard to see the poetic flourish that is there. So I'm going to read out of the New King James version today that's printed in the bulletin. But whatever version you use is just fine. <coughs> um, before I read it, I'll, I'll just point out verse 23 is one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. And I know I said that two weeks ago about chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I'll just say I reserve the right to have at least 20 favorite verses in the book of Proverbs because there are so many good ones. But, but chapter 4, verse 23 that we're going to read is another one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs and it's the, the theme of the sermon today. I, th- I think it's kind of the center of this passage and everything else kind of hinges on it where it says, keep your heart with all diligence for uh, out of it spring the issues of life. So let's read the whole passage together. If you're able, please join me in standing for the reading of God's word today. This is Proverbs 4, starting in verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Lord, we're really thankful for the book of Proverbs, where you commit the wisdom of the fear of the Lord to your people and you teach us. So Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to cherish the word of God. May we we listen, may we bend our ear and incline our hearts to receive your word of life. Take us to the cross of Jesus Christ and leave us in the safest place at the foot of the cross for us. We pray that you will do this through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Do you ever have one of those moments in in life where you look back at at your younger self, maybe 
10 years ago or 20 or more years ago, and you think to yourself, if only I had known then what I know now, and if only I had the wisdom at that stage of life that I have gained at this stage of life. Or maybe you you wonder what it would be like if you were just granted for once the magical wish to be able to go back in time 20 or 30 years and, and, and teach something to your younger self. I wonder what you would say. I wonder if there's one thing that stands out to you as, as the need of the hour that, that you think would be helpful, a valuable lesson to learn when you're young. I know that as parents, we often feel like we're given that second chance to teach to our children while they are young the things we wish we had learned when we were young. And so we, we impart to them the wisdom that we have gained in, in life. In some sense, that's what Proverbs is, right? Proverbs is the wisdom of a father to a son. <clears throat> that's why so many of these passages in the first nine chapters begin, My son, my son, hear my words, listen, open your ear to my teachings. Here, the father is passing along not only the wisdom of his own life, but in this case, it's the inspired wisdom. Right here, God is our father and he is our teacher. And he says to us, listen to my teaching. Accept the word that he has for us. Here, we are sitting at at the feet of the Lord and listening to his wisdom. And I think verse 23 is one of those lessons that we just can't learn too early in life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. I think if I were going to sort of translate that into 21st century idioms, how we would say that today, we might simply say something like this. Make sure you keep your spiritual life as the number one priority in life. Because that is the only true source of life. Keep your spiritual life as the number one priority in life. Be careful. Pay attention to the state of your heart. Don't, don't fall into the trap that's so easy of, of sort of just never paying attention to this spiritual state of your heart and, and letting the important issues of life be so easily crowded out by those many, many things that always feel so urgent. Right? There's always a hundred other things that need our attention, that we feel like are time-sensitive, that have to be done. And he says, don't, don't neglect the spiritual state of your heart. Keep your heart. Make it your priority. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. And he's saying that ultimately is the only source of life. That is where true life comes from, is from Christ. And we ignore that to our peril. Think about this quote. It comes from Janine Roth. She writes this. Women turn to food when they're not hungry because they're hungry for something they can't name, a connection to what is beyond the concerns of daily life, something deathless, something sacred. But replacing the hunger for divine connection with double-stuffed Oreos is like giving a glass of sand to a person dying of thirst. It creates more thirst and more panic. maybe, Maybe Oreos aren't your thing, right? But it's easy enough to fill in the blanks, and it's not just for women, it's for men. For any of us, it's easy to fill in the blanks that say, uh, we, we turn to distractions, or we turn to hobbies, or sometimes we turn to idols, we turn to work, we turn to whatever it is, uh, when, we don't, when we know 
that's not what we really need because we're looking for something. Right? He says we turn to food when we're hungry because we're hungry for something else that we can't name. It's a connection to something that's deathless. I think what she's saying is we're looking for life. Sometimes in all the wrong places. And Proverbs 4.23 tells us pay attention to the state of your heart because that's where life is found. Pay attention to your spiritual life, your, your, your connection with Christ because that is where life is and, and that's what we're all looking for. We just get it the wrong places. We go the wrong places for it. We hunger for life. We all recognize there's something greater out there, right? We want something more than just the day-to-day busyness. We want real life, life with a capital L. But apart from Christ, we don't know where to find it. And so here's what this verse says, and I want us to look at this whole passage uh, and ask three questions. First, what is keeping the heart? Second, why do we keep the heart? And then third, how? What is it? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? First of all, what, what is keeping the heart? I think it's what we just said. Keeping the heart is being aware of the state of your heart, caring for it, with a view to keeping it humble, joyful, full of thanksgiving in the grace of God, always walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, I think there's actually some really good biblical pictures that we can use to kind of get a better picture of what keeping the heart is. Keeping the heart is a little, uh, you know, it's ethereal, it can sound vague, but think about these other uh, charges that the Lord gave for people to keep something or to guard something. There's two that are really prominent in the scriptures. The first one is Adam and Eve in the garden. So when God places Adam in the garden of Eden, he gives him a charge. He says he is to keep and to serve the garden. To keep it and to work it, to keep it and to serve it. He has a charge, right? Here, he puts him in this place. This is paradise. This is the place where Adam is going to meet with God and walk with him in the cool of the day. This is the place where Adam enjoys fellowship with God. Uh, and therefore, the charge is that much more important. He says, your, your job is to keep this, to tend to it, right? To tend to this garden. That is, you know, you do what a gardener does. They pull the weeds, trim, you know, prune the, prune the plants and the vines and see to it that it's growing and becoming fruitful. See to it that it's moving in the right direction. See to it that it's not being overtaken by that which is undesirable. Uh, and, and what we see is that for Adam, that was a priestly role. We know that because later in the scriptures, and this comes out a lot in the book of Numbers, that when God is describing, you know, there's the tabernacle, uh, God is describing the role of the priests who have been ordained and set aside for work in the tabernacle. And part of what he says, he gives them a charge. <clears throat> and he uses the same words that he said to Adam. He said, you are to keep it, keep the tabernacle, and to serve in it. You are to keep the tabernacle. That is, their job was to tend to the temple of God. That was the place where they had fellowship with God, where he met with them, where he received their sacrifices, where they brought their offerings of worship to be in the presence of the Lord. And as priests, part of their job was to tend to that uh, tabernacle area, make sure that it was fit for the job that it had. And its job was fellowship and worship of the Lord. And the word, again, keep it, was a priestly charge. And now, that, that's the very same thing he gives to all of us. And he says, we all have a charge to keep our hearts with all diligence. 
Right? It's, it's, not, it's not too much of a stretch to see that connection, to say just as the tabernacle in the temple of the Old Testament was the place where the people of God came to meet with him, to bring sacrifices, to worship him, to enjoy fellowship and communion with him, so it, we must keep and tend to the spiritual state of our heart because it is through our heart that we enjoy communion with God, that we are able to practice abiding in Christ. God desires the sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So it's through our heart that we bring the sacrifice of praise. It's through the spiritual state of our heart that God delights in our worship. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't delight in the externals of obedience and worship unless they are flowing out of a heart that's committed to God. It's the state of our heart that is so important. And so the charge, again, is to keep that in a priestly kind of capacity. Tend to it as Adam tended to the garden, as the priest tended to the tabernacle. So you tend to the spiritual state of your own heart that it might be primed at all times for fellowship with God. That it might not be overgrown with the weeds of worldliness which would prevent the enjoyment of communion with God. That it might not go uh, uh, fallow right, in order that, that we, we become hypocritical in our external actions because there's no love for God in our heart. <clears throat> I think that's what this charge is. Keep your heart with all diligence. One Puritan author, John Flavel, he wrote a book, an entire book on this verse. And here's how he describes it. He says, By keeping the heart, we are to understand the diligent and constant use of all holy means to preserve the soul from sin and to maintain its sweet and free communion with God. That's, that's what we're charged to do, to keep our hearts in order that we may maintain that sweet and free communion with God that we see to it in that gardener priestly capacity that our hearts are not wandering right, without our knowledge. Right? We, we, and we know how prone we are to that. We sing that in one of our songs, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So we must keep a watch, right? We have to be intentional uh, in uh, curating, as it were, the state of our hearts. Because here's the thing. Our hearts don't automatically keep themselves. There's no spiritual cruise control. We must be intentional. Um, we, we know, don't we, that our hearts don't automatically incline to the things of God. They don't automatically incline towards humility. They're not going to automatically incline towards repentance, towards faith, towards abiding in Christ towards love for those who are unlike us. That's, that's just not the direction they go. If we're going to be walking in those things, we must be intentional. Right? We have to curate the state of our heart and its various loves. I think we all know just how easy it is for our hearts to get discomposed and to discombobulated, to get out of order and to feel like they're going all astray, which is why we have a verse like that that says we must keep them. Right? We must be intentional in taking charge. They don't keep themselves. You know, it's just like, for me, you know, it's just like our house. Right? With five of us living in our house, it does not stay neat and tidy just by itself. Right? If we want it to be neat and tidy and kind of functional and enjoyable, that takes work for us to keep our house. 
It's the exact same with our hearts. They don't stay neat and tidy, fit for communion with Christ all by themselves without intentional, uh, regular, consistent keeping of the heart, curating of the loves of the heart. Uh, You know, I was just thinking about one example of this. And and one example is when we come into worship. One of the things that we do, and it's, it's on the first page of the bulletin, is the very first thing is we have that time at the beginning of preparing our hearts for worship. And we just intentionally take a few minutes of, of silent reflection, right? U- musical accompaniment, but we just set aside a few moments to, to keep our hearts, to kind of set aside, like intentionally set aside all the distractions, all the busyness, all the problems of the day that have already crept in by this time of day and to say, let me, you know, whether it's through prayer or through meditation, through looking at the call to worship, let me intentionally sort of get my heart back on track. Maybe let me repent of the sins of the morning and ask for grace to enter into worship. Let me ask the Lord to search my heart. Let me ask the Lord to draw me close through a time of worship that I'm not just going to be going through the motions ritualistically. And coming into worship that way, it's hard to come in cold, as it were. To just walk in after the busyness of of getting the family together and trying to be here on time and the traffic and, and all these things that so easily discombobulate my heart. Right? We need a moment to intentionally keep our hearts. But it's not just Sunday worship that this is talking about. It's saying this is the daily process. Right? This is a daily, maybe it's an hourly process of intentionally giving attention to the state of our hearts. One commentator just pointed out, we spend so much time curating our lives Right? We, you know, when we shop for something, we're so careful. Comparison shopping, looking all around, making sure we're getting the best deal, reading reviews, making sure we're filling our lives with all the things that are, are the best for us, right? that we're going to enjoy the most. Making sure we check all the boxes, even in our parenting. Right? We're so careful to, to make sure that our children have, have just the right experiences that we want them to have. You know, that they're a part of, of everything that's going to lead to a good and happy and fulfilling childhood. Right? We put so much thought and intentionality into these things. And that's good. Right? We should. Right? We should because we love them. We care about them. And here Proverbs comes in, and it doesn't say neglect it, it says, but above all, keep your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Above everything, let's do that with our own hearts, with the spiritual state of our souls, and not neglect or let that go by the wayside. So that's what it is, but why do we do it? And, and it's simple because it's the second part of the verse. For from it flow the springs of life. For from the heart is where the life comes from. Now, <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, on sort of a physical medical perspective. Right? We know that the heart is the, you know, it's the central organ. It's what pumps the blood to the body that keeps you alive. It circulates oxygen. Without it, you die. It is kind of literally a spring of life in your chest. But you know, obviously that's not what this verse means. It says the state of your soul, your heart, is also the spring of spiritual life. I think it's what Jesus simply calls life. Right? He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's life with a capital L. That's true life, real life. Jesus says, "Um, this is life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is life. That is life. That's a 
Kind of the secret of life that believers know is that real life is only found in Christ. Abundant life, full life, eternal life is only found in Christ. And so that is a life that we have through our communion with Christ. And when your heart is discomposed, the communion with Christ is, is interrupted. So he's saying something really very simple in this verse. He's saying, tend to the state of your heart in order that that sweet and free communion with Christ will not be interrupted. It won't be interrupted by sin. It won't be interrupted by, by busyness. It won't be interrupted by you know, the root of bitterness that can grow up and, and just choke out the rest of life. Saying, tend to the state of your heart to ensure its spiritual health. Here's what another commentary said. I thought this was really helpful. He said, we're told today that if we're going to be happy, what we need to do is to assemble around us our little designer life just the way we want it, with our dream house and our trophy wife and our ideal job and all the rest. But the truth is, if we got it all, it would only make us more depressed and angry because all those outward advantages would only mock the sadness within. Life does not flow from the outside in. It flows from the inside out. We know that, right? That we know that as believers. We know life does not come from, from the abundance of possessions. It doesn't come from the fulfillment of, of earthly dreams. Uh, it doesn't come from the idols that we look to. It doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from Christ. It comes from the inside out. And so what happens then if, if we fail to keep our heart? What happens if we just let them go their own way? Well, one thing is that we become like the Pharisees. One thing is if we're not careful to, to be regularly attending to the state of our heart, we're going to become hypocrites. Right? We're, we're still pursuing outward obedience. We're still uh, pursuing outward virtues, and yet they're coming from a heart that's, that's either empty or hollow or cold or overgrown. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for that. <clears throat> or another, another option is if we don't care, keep our hearts, we simply become worldly. We simply become worldly. Love for Jesus kind of just ebbs away. Right? Love for Christ, just, it, it doesn't grow automatically apart from us giving regular attention to, to bring ourselves and our, our hearts into the presence of Christ to feed our hearts and to nourish them with the means of grace and with the scriptures and with prayer and with Christian fellowship. <clears throat> with all of these things, that's what God has given to us to grow a love for Christ. We neglect those things at our own peril. The, the love for Jesus kind of just fades away and we become worldly. But Proverbs, I think, knows very well, whatever it is, the heart just doesn't keep itself. And so the exhortation is, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So, but how? This is the third point. How do we do that? How do we keep our heart? This can all sound very well and good and spiritual, but at the same time, a little bit vague, a little bit hard to really put our, put our hands and feet to the process of doing it. So how do we really do it? Now, I, I titled this sermon, The Anatomy of Wisdom, and, and you kind of heard as we read this passage, I get goes through a number of our body parts and how do we commit those to the Lord? How do we love the Lord with our entire selves? And in talking about this, we, we throw out this disclaimer because we have to be careful 
as we've already said, uh, you know, we're going to talk here about keeping your mouth and keeping your eyes and keeping your ears. But, but we remember, above all these things, the Pharisees were masters of that. They were masters of keeping their eyes and their ears and their hands, and they neglected their hearts. But what these verses do is, is they give us a way to commit our hands and feet and eyes and ears to the Lord in order to help our hearts love the Lord as well, to, to express the love that we have for the Lord in our hearts. Right? At its center, we know that being a Christian is not ultimately about what you do with your eyes and your ears and your hands. Christianity is at its center about what God has done for us in Christ, that through Christ at the cross, he has forgiven all of our sins, he has drawn us to himself, he has redeemed us, he has made us new. But because of that, because he's done those things for the one who believes, for the one who by faith has been united to Christ, that flows out of the heart into fruit that is pleasing to God. And it's expressed then with our eyes and our ears and our hands and our feet. So this passage is leading, right? It's the father saying, my son, here's a quick inventory, a quick inventory of how we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We keep the heart in part by keeping our mouths. Right? Look at verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. I think later this summer we're going to spend at least a couple of weeks talking about what Proverbs says to us about the value of our speech and our words because it's one of the most prevalent topics in the entire book of Proverbs. And I don't want to uh, give away what we'll get into later, <clears throat> but here's the main headline. One of the main headlines is, in general, we have no idea how powerful our words are. Proverbs says the, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Proverbs 15.4 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs will ask us to recognize it or maybe to learn for the first time just how powerful the words we speak are to others and to ourselves, right? James says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness set among our members, staining the whole body, set on fire the entire course of life and set on fire itself by hell. The tongue can stain the whole body, right? It's not detached. It's part of us. And the words we use, not only do they have an effect on others, they have an effect on ourselves, Jesus said this, that, that our words are an accurate barometer of what's in our heart. And Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So often we want to disconnect that. We, want, we say, no, that's not true. Those are just my words, but that's not what's in my heart. Jesus says, no, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a, a deceitful mouth, which is a mouth that, that uses things like slander, gossip, lies, half-truths, fashionable grumbling, boasting, or obscenity. According to James and according to Proverbs, these are the things that set the entire course of life on fire. Now, now th that's, you know, these are hard truths to hear because as James says, who is there that doesn't struggle with these things? Right? We find that this is like a blanket conviction that gets all of us at some point. Charles Bridges, one of my favorite Proverbs commentators, uh, says this. 
He just asks this question. Are not then the sins of the tongue an overwhelming manifestation of the long-suffering of God? Isn't that true? Are not then the, the sins of the tongue, and this is the direction that a Christian goes whenever we feel that conviction of sin, right? When the Spirit uses the Word of God to bring some kind of conviction into our heart. Uh, as a believer, we don't simply let that take us into despair, that we're a, a worse sinner than we knew previously. As a Christian, shouldn't our thought be, are not all of these sins of my tongue just an, an overwhelming manifestation of the long-suffering of my God who loves me, who cares for me, who, has, who knows my sin better than I do and loves me more than I can ever imagine? He knows my sin and he hasn't convicted me for it. He hasn't condemned me for it. Right? He doesn't hold me responsible because that is a sin that he has specifically forgiven, that he has specifically taken and set on the shoulders of Christ and Christ went to the cross for it and was condemned in our place that we might have life. Right? We feel the conviction of sin, but we don't descend into shame. We ascend into praise and thanksgiving and joy. And we say, one more reason to praise Christ, my Savior, that God knows all my sins and he doesn't count a single one of them against me. He doesn't, he doesn't count any of them against me. Right? When, when Satan tries to accuse you by bringing to mind your sin and try to say, see how worthless you are, we say to him, listen, I know my sins and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. God, do, God doesn't know them. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. And then Proverbs will come and they'll say to us, therefore, let these sins of the tongue be far from us. Remove ourselves. Remove ourselves from them if we know the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. If we know that there is forgiveness through Christ, therefore he is to be feared. Because all of our sins are forgiven, therefore we, we fear the Lord and we say no to further ungodliness. We say Put away from me, O Lord, a deceitful mouth and let perverse lips be far from me. We keep our mouth, we keep our eyes, verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyelids look right before you. Uh, I think of, you know, I read this verse, I think of Vanity Fair. If you remember Pilgrim's Progress with Christian's metaphorical journey to the celestial city and at one point he has to travel through the town of Vanity, where there is a year-round fair going on called Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair sells all sorts of wares and goods and products designed to distract the erstwhile pilgrim from his journey to the celestial city. And so Christian and his companion, Faithful, are going through the city and they, they resolve that they will only look straight ahead. They're not going to look to the side at the wares that are being sold because they know the whole purpose is to distract them from where they're going. And so they say, let us look straight ahead. Let us keep our eyes uh, front and center. They know many other pilgrims have lost their way going through Vanity Fair. Proverbs often envisions the life of the righteous as a path. Right? It's a walk, it's a journey, and, and the way of the wicked is a path also. But it says, if you're going to diligently stay on the path of the righteous, focus straight ahead. Don't let your eyes wander. Don't entice temptation. Don't invite temptation to come close to you. Be single-minded. Look straight ahead. 
We keep the ears, verse 20. Verse 20 is backing up, but he says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Incline your ear. What, what do we put in our ears? What are your ears inclining to? I want to say a quick word about, about music, which is a big thing to me. I listen to a lot of music. But, and, and I will tell you, I've never been a strict fundamentalist about music, so that's not the direction I'm going with that. I, I've never had that moment of, of burning all my secular CDs. Uh, I'm not a fundamentalist about it. I, I try not to be. I listen to a broad range of music. And I definitely don't think God is the type who always has his clipboard out checking what we're listening to. But I have learned something over the years, and that is uh, I've noticed more and more how much the music I listen to has power over me. And I've, listened, I've noticed how it's not just a sort of musical enjoyment in my ears, but it has an effect on my heart. Um, and again, not to be legalistic, I, I do remember there was a time about um, maybe 15 or so years ago now where I, I simply recognized that there was one particular artist that I needed to start listening to less. Um, and it wasn't because of the label that produced it. It was because I recognized every time I listened to it, it made me a jerk. <laughs> like it actually changed my attitude towards other people who I encountered after listening to it. And I said, this is bad. Right? I need to stop that. Um, and I, I've, listened, I've noticed lately also that when I listen to God-glorifying music, that also changes my heart. It's powerful, the things that we put in our ears. It has an effect on us. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to be legalistic and make any rules that the Bible doesn't make, but I do want us to keep our hearts with all diligence. And I think Proverbs, Proverbs never makes a law to it, but it might say the wise person is the person who sees the connections. The wise person understands the effects that different things we, we choose to participate in will have on our heart. Right? That, that we're simply not powerful enough to disconnect these things all the time. And part of keeping your heart then and curating the spiritual state of your heart also means I'm careful with my little ears and what I let them listen to. Because I want to love Jesus more. I want to be more humble. I want to be more patient. I, I want my life in those ways to be glorifying to God. And there's certain music that helps me and there's certain music that hurts me. So I won't be legalistic, but I want to be wise. I think that's the direction that all of Proverbs goes, right? It doesn't make laws, but it says the wise person understands something about this and does what is right. There's a really interesting uh, little, again, there's another little rhetorical flourish in this verse, and it, it's a little hard to see in the English. Verse 1, or not verse 1, verse 20, says, incline your ear to my sayings. Verse 27 says, don't turn to the right or the left incline and turn, that's the same word in Hebrew. It's different in English, but it's the same word, and it's saying, it's, it, you know, it means incline, bend, turn. It's saying, don't allow your life uh, to turn to the right or the left. Make sure your life is always inclining towards the word of God, inclining towards his sayings. Right? That, that's the wisdom for his son. My son, uh, incline your ear this direction. Don't let your feet incline away from the path. Incline, bend. And so, you know, uh, which direction is your life inclining? What, what if we don't ask where we are right now at this very moment, but, but what direction are, is our life bending towards? 
Is our life bending more and more away from the the temptations of the world and more towards Christ? Or do we we have to just say, listen, I, I see where I am right now, that my life is just kind of slowly bending away from that. And therefore, the, the exhortation is we must keep our hearts with all diligence because apart from that, it will bend away. Now, a final word, and that is that above all of these things, the, the foundation of how we keep our heart is we keep our heart with the gospel. Right? Above all of these things, the gospel is the spring of life. And we keep our heart by daily soaking our heart in gospel realities. Right? With... with summoning all the humility that we have to repent of our sins and daily saying, Lord, will you show me something? Show me something to repent of. Make me to know my own heart. Teach me. Humble me. And then, again, not not descending into despair, but looking at Christ. And every time we become more aware of a sin, every time we become more aware of a way that our life is inclining away towards Christ, we We simply look to Christ and we recognize and we cling to him by faith that all our sins are forgiven by Christ. And we take great joy and we take great delight. And and we use this phrase a lot about having to preach the gospel to ourselves and whatever that looks like, right? It's not actually with a pulpit usually in, in your own house, but whatever that looks like to say, self, like I am accepted in Christ. God looks at me and he doesn't see this sin that I've just been convicted of. He Instead, he imputes to me all the righteousness of Christ. And we delight in that. And we say, Lord, we magnify your name, for great are you and greatly to be praised. For you exalt the humble. You lift, you lift us out of the dust heap. You bless the poor in spirit. Isn't that the whole message of the gospel, is that we in ourselves are, are unrighteous and sinful, and yet God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now he invites us before his throne. He accepts us around his table. So here's, that's the, that's the bottom line of keeping our heart as we keep it with gospel realities. And apart from that, apart from the gospel, apart from Christ, there is no amount of keeping your mouth or your eyes or your hands that will be pleasing to God. He delights in the, the humble and contrite spirit. A broken and contrite heart he does not ever despise. He loves it. He loves our humility. He loves our repentance. He loves when we come to him for delight, for joy, for help. He loves that, that very humble, weak, powerless cry, Lord, help. He delights to hear. And so, brothers and sisters, keep your hearts with all diligence, for from them flow the springs of life. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for Christ. We're thankful for his death on the cross where his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. That his blood might cover us. That it might be applied to our hearts to purify them, to wash all of our sins away. Lord, we pray now that that your spirit will take these words and press them on our hearts. That they may not go in one ear and out the other. but, But Lord, that they'll stick and they'll do their work. That you'll use them to purify and to sanctify us, to draw us closer to yourself, Lord, to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.